the Slaughter in May podcast. Welcome to our podcast on hybrid working. I'm Phil Linard. I'm joined today by Jane Edward, a partner in the firm's real estate team, and Martin Boyle, a senior lawyer at Ocado, to look at the current picture. And this follows on from a podcast that we did in March 2022, when we were in the earlier days of hybrid working. Today, Jane, Martin and I are going to be talking about some key themes that we're seeing in hybrid working, in industry, in business, in professional services firms. We're going to think about what's happened over the period since the pandemic started, and in particular from Jane and my perspective, what's happened over the last year since we first did our podcast on this topic. We'll talk about what we're seeing in terms of people returning to the office in various sectors. We'll consider the implications of this, and we'll look ahead to the future. But I think, first of all, it would be really interesting to draw in Martin to give a business perspective on how hybrid working's been evolving. Thanks very much, Phil. Yeah, it's um, and thank you for having me. It's uh, a fascinating topic and one which I've been fortunate to have seen evolve at Ocado since um, since the pandemic. And you know, for us, hybrid working is interesting because we obviously have a very mixed workforce. The majority of our employees are, in fact, delivery drivers and those who work in our warehouses. And so, hybrid working is not a feature for them and they actually have to work from the warehouses or in you know delivering to our customers um, every day but part of that is also we try to balance out the inability to give that working from home experience with trying to give those employees as much flexibility as possible um, in the way in which they work and so we have a range of options that they can choose from to allow them to have as much flexibility as possible that works for their lives and, and also works for us. But then obviously we have you know, our head office staff, we have, um, and also all of our international colleagues at all of the locations we operate in. We generally now in our head office have a broad two day a week in the office, three days working from home, but there's a general degree of flexibility with that. Um, and it differs from department to department depending on the needs. And it is something which we generally see you know, a lot of our employees are broadly happy with and broadly compliant with and that, you know, there isn't a great deal of resistance to that and it seems to work for an awful lot of our employees. And have you been seeing, now that hybrid working's bedded in and your policies may have been in place for some time, have you seen any trends developing? I think, broadly speaking, hybrid working for us is only one part of an overarching conversation around flexibility. And so for us... You know, we are not in the same space as the financial institutions. We're not competing with them in terms of salary. And so therefore, a lot of what we are looking at is how do we create the flexibility for our workforce to enable them to do the job and be as and that works for them and works for us. And so hybrid working is one aspect of that. But actually, there's a large part of it is also, you know, we offer a you know, working from anywhere policy where you can work for up to 30 days from anywhere. There's also, you know, we have, uh, we've recently during the pandemic, we enhanced our family friendly policies. We now offer, a, a, you know, an enhanced, a much, a much better enhanced package for, you know, maternity and paternity leave. And so there's a general approach now to, you know, it's not just hybrid working and how often you're in the office. It's actually what can we do to overall increase the the flexibility for our employees to ensure that they have as good an experience. And also, I'll be honest, Ocado can be a pr- pretty demanding place to work. We have been growing rapidly 
over the last five years, we've expanded internationally very quickly. Oftentimes we're working with colleagues now in you know, time zones that are not hospitable sometimes to uh, personal lives. And so we have to recognize that and give people the flexibility to be able to do their jobs both from where, you know, from the office, but from where, you know, from home and at times that work for them as well as for us. So a lot of the drive towards flexibility has been enabled in large part by some of the technology that has come along. That's, you know, for example, we obviously use, we're a Google Suite company, so we use Google Suite um, and Google Meet for our meetings, but we also use things like Miro boards, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but they're like an online whiteboard for collaboration and you can have multiple people in there putting up you know post-it notes and you know you know putting up ideas just like you would with a, a whiteboard in a room so you know there is lots of technology that we've been able to utilize that enable us to collaborate in ways that in the absence of that would certainly have made this type of working much harder and we've spoken previously about Ocado having technology and software teams dispersed around Europe are you seeing any are there any challenges or any things that jump out at you about how people work flexibly in those different countries that you're having to mesh together? Or are you finding a fairly uniformly positive approach to this flexible way of staffing across the geographies you work in? It's generally quite flexible. Again, it depends on the needs of the role and the teams in question. So some roles inherently are more capable of being done quite flexibly, whilst others are not. So as I mentioned, in the UK, we have the majority of our colleagues can't work from home. And equally, in uh, a lot of our locations internationally, where we are building our warehouses or we're maintaining the, you know, the, ro the robots and the other equipment that we have in those locations, those have to be done in person. But for a lot of our tech development teams and our software teams and our tech teams, that can be done quite you know, flexibly. And we're not seeing an, a huge split in terms of you know, approach across the different geographies, generally speaking, it is quite flexible, but also it's uh, we try to adopt a you know freedom within a framework approach, as in, broadly speaking, we prioritize and we want that human connection. And we think that's really important. It's important that we meet face-to-face -face and we get to know people. Um, and we think that fosters collaboration and innovation. But aside from that, you know, we think the job can be done quite flexibly. And so, you know, we, we tend to take quite a, you know, flexible approach and allow the locations to decide, well, what works for them. So, Martin, thinking about your people who aren't working in warehouses, who aren't your delivery drivers, but the people who, in effect, used to be office workers and are now a hybrid of office workers and flexible workers, the change in approach, I would have thought, must have had some kind of impact on your real estate usage and your projections for how much space you're going to need going forward. Can you give us some thoughts from an Ocado perspective on, on that? And, and then it would be really good just to bring in Jane to understand whether what we're seeing at Ocado is reflected across the broader market, in particular in the city and demand for office space. Sure. So pre-pandemic, um, we were growing exponentially. Uh, the number of employees based at our head office and in our other locations was increasing. But the pandemic really meant that the need for expanding into additional office space was was halted really um, i recall pre-pandemic that if you didn't get to the office before you at 30 in the morning your chances of getting a parking space were, were were pretty limited and in fact we were taking additional parking space elsewhere to enable people to have somewhere to park their car but certainly if we had 
had to have everybody going into the office, we would have needed additional real estate to accommodate them. But uh, because of the pandemic, we just didn't need that additional space. And so inherently, there's quite a significant, you know, obviously saving for us in that we don't need that additional real estate. You then have to manage the actual space you have. So we moved to a hot desking model um, and, you know, brought in a piece of software that would enable us to do so. And in terms of the other changes to our, you know, real estate, we've started to renovate and redesign some of the spaces that we work in. For example, one of the challenges when we first returned to the office from the pandemic uh, was we'd grown accustomed to having uh, the ability to, you know, have, you know, video meetings, but then you need some space and some privacy within which to do that. Otherwise, you have lots of people on video calls in open plan offices, and that really, we find that wasn't working. And so we've introduced like micropods around the office. We've got more open space for collaboration. We've got, you know, these smaller pods where people can just go for, you know, these video call meetings. And so that's a work in progress, and we're still doing that. And Jane, if you think about our own business, and if you think about other professional services firms across the city, many of the points that Martin is making about a sort of an, an out of central London base are going to apply in, in the same way. I mean, I certainly know that within our own firm, we now have in some parts of the firm hot desking, in some parts of the firm people maintaining their own office, and an ongoing conversation about the most efficient use of our building. It'd be really interesting to get your thoughts about how you're seeing companies and firms in the city responding to the same real estate challenge. Yeah, and I think challenge is definitely the right word. Um, I think generally we're seeing occupiers thinking that they need less space and definitely wanting more flexibility around that space. But as you've highlighted, it depends really on the nature of the organisation as to you know, how many changes they're willing to make internally because if you're not going to share offices, then you, you still need the same amount of space to come in two or three days a week as you do for five. So I think it sounds to me like Acado have been very efficient in putting in place a, you know, a booking system and a hot desking arrangement, which means they don't need more space. But, but clearly without that, you have empty offices within, a, within an office. So yeah, different models for different organisations, depending really on the culture and the efficiency of, of sharing. And thinking back to our conversation sort of this time last year, slightly earlier, we were crystal ball gazing about how firms would develop their offices. And we were speculating about whether the central London office was going to become the social hub for people who might commute from outside of London and whether in response to that, companies would have to really upgrade their offices to make them attractive places for people to come into in order to lure them out of working from home. Are you seeing in new developments or in redevelopments, uh, property owners changing the configuration of buildings and the services provided to respond to this new way of working? Yes, very much so. So, you know, developers are producing a product for a market and for their customers as tenants, as occupiers. And, you know, to get to get the highest rents and to get the most demand, that, that, that product needs to be the best in class if you're going for, of course, grade A office space rather than more affordable office space and so it's not uncommon at all to have all sorts of amenities um, for tenants so that hopefully that tenant will choose your development over another so restaurant facilities you know end of trip top end cycle facilities 
all sorts of amenities and shared space and communal sociable space, nice public realm and landscaping, the list goes on. But these features, I think, do distinguish one office from another and, and may, make, may make the difference because I think occupiers are thinking about it needs to be a nice place for our, for our employees to come to and to want to come to rather than working from home. And let's make sure that it works for us. You know, we might not need as big an office, but if we can afford it, we'd like a nice office so people want to come to work. And Jane, we've talked about before occupiers needing flexibility. We've talked a number of times about large companies going into new developments, taking out flexible leases where they can add and subtract from the number of floors that they have in buildings. And I think our expectation last year was that was going to become a feature of the letting market in, in central London in the city. Is that also something that's actually happening? Definitely, definitely. I think on every new pre-letting or letting of new space, um, tenants are wanting maximum amount of flexibility on their lease terms in terms of being able to drop space, increase space, make, make decisions quickly in order to you know, adapt and adjust the size of their space. So a landlord has to be very flexible in allowing the tenant, you know, for example, rights of first refusal over space that may become available in the future and the rights to make quite late decisions relatively prior to the building being finished about how much space the tenant wants on day one. And is it too early to tell whether tenants are taking advantage of that flexibility? No, not too early. They absolutely are building it all in and then having some very serious discussions about how much they need because it's expensive, right? It's an expensive overhead. And, and therefore, you know, the space has to work for an occupier. In the last part of this podcast, I think it would be interesting for us to explore what's changed over the last year. So we've previously discussed, Jane, the worries we had about mental health challenges and isolation of people working from home all the time or a significant proportion of the time. We talked about whether people who were working from home frequently might suffer in terms of career progression and being overlooked for opportunities by seniors who might, in some cases, be working in the office more than they were. Let's revisit that. We're, we're 12, 14 months on. I don't think we're in steady state, but we have seen some uh, developments, certainly in terms of the expectations that professional services firms are putting down about the number of days or proportion of time their employees should spend in the office. We can reflect on this from a law firm perspective, but given that we have Martin here as our guest from Ocado, Martin, are you seeing any challenges still from hybrid working and are any worries that you might have had in the early part of hybrid working as you developed your policies coming to fruition? I think broadly, we have settled into a pattern of working that broadly works for the business at the moment. Where you, there's obviously going to be a variety of you know views and opinions on that, um, but generally speaking, I think that we we are aligned on you know the the current approach is working. Whether or not that rem will remain the case, it depends on you know a, a number of developments, not least the the growth of the business, the challenges that the economy and everything at the moment. For us, that human contact is really important. And I think that's a big piece of that mental health debate around, you know, the challenges of working remotely. And so I can't see us ever moving to the model which a lot of other, you know, tech companies have um, is, uh, you know, remote first and entirely remote model. 
that that is certainly something that I don't see us moving to because that human interaction for us is really important. And I think that's a big piece of that, you know, looking after our people and their mental health and mental well-being. But for us, one of the things which I I definitely see is that a we're certainly seeing more flexibility having to be a, a core part of our business simply by nature of the international expansion that we've had over the last five years. So other businesses will have been in a relatively you know, steady state over the last five years, you know, with, you know, the pandemic, managing the pandemic and then coming out of that. Whereas we grew exponentially over the course of the pandemic and expanded into like 12 countries. So in a way, the approach that we had to adopt as a consequence of the pandemic was, in my view, more of an acceleration of where we had to get to anyway, as a consequence of our international growth, because we were going to end up in a position where we were going to have multi-jurisdictional teams having to work collaboratively and using the tools to be able to enable us to do so. And what we find is that a number of very senior roles uh, across the business are now done almost entirely remotely because they are generally managing teams all across the world and they are therefore location agnostic. And that's, that's definitely something where I see there being a great opportunity for us is to be able to tap into talent and, you know, tap into that flexibility to be able to get the right people in the right locations to do the job and that we're not constrained by who can get into the office for, you know, five days a week. It sounds to me like the freedom within a framework model was a thoughtful one and the right one for your business because that that, that framework is itself flexible but also necessary because you were going through a period of, as you said, exponential growth. And so you had to have that flexible model that would ensure that you could grow with the demand. Um, but I think maybe for other businesses that haven't had the same sort of surge of growth o- over or since the pandemic, I think it's it's been a tricky judgment, actually, to decide sort of culturally how direct how directional to be and how much support to give because we are now post pandemic but we're living with its legacy aren't we we're living with a generation of graduates who perhaps you know were at university and or trained from home remotely and that 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 brings with it, it for them challenges and for employers welcoming them back and welcoming them in challenges too so i think a thoughtful approach is absolutely the right one i don't know what you think phil from your, from from your clients you've spoken to in an employment context? Yeah, thinking about our clients, but also thinking about our own business, I think nearly every large business has had a healthy internal debate around, on the one hand, the need to have some kind of uniform standards as a target for people's behaviour. And those targets or policies have been set by, as a product of considering what the business needs to perform really well. So if you think about an advisory services firm like ours, we had to think really hard about how we continue to deliver the best service to our client. What do we do in order to do that? Well, we have to work together. We have to think about new ideas. We have to innovate and we have to do it in a way that's sustainable because our employees work hard and we had to weigh up whether uh, commuting into the office would put a burden on people versus whether being in the office brings a kind of spirit to the work that is actually uplifting and is healthy in many ways. So so we and our clients have had those debates. I think it's been common, uh, as is reflected in the press often now, 
for large companies to have the kind of policies that Martin's been describing to a greater or lesser extent. And I think what we need to look at now is how those policies can be adapted depending on the role within a business and also the performance needs of the business. We've learned within our own firm, Jane, that some of our people need to be in the office more often than others. And we've got a spectrum of policies depending on functions in terms of hot desking, fixed offices, amount of time that people work from home, in some cases responding to how senior or junior people are. So I I think it's still a moving piece. I think we're not at the end of this story. But I think compared to 12, 14 months ago, we're seeing a lot of the concerns that we had. I think we got them right. We, we We were worrying about the right things but companies and firms have been flexible, they've adapted. And I don't think that the the worst end of the spectrum has come, come to reality. I would agree with that. But a good thing I do think is that we are now better equipped, more articulate in talking about the mental health cost, if you like, or impact of cultural decisions and of working patterns and, and of hybrid working itself. And when, I, I do feel, you know, as a nation and societally, we're, we're much better equipped now going forward to make good, well-informed, thoughtful decisions going forward? These were difficult questions 12 months ago. They're still difficult questions now. Leaders of businesses across the spectrum have invested an awful lot of time and energy in thinking about how to appropriately balance the needs of the business and the needs of the people within the business. Jane, I know that we've thought about that really hard within our own business, and I know that that's gone on across the legal sector. Yes, and I think most law firms certainly have come out with something quite similar but there have been I think we've all seen them more extreme stories in the press with certain employers particularly some financial services employers having a sort of cultural top-down demand almost for you know more attendance um what's your view Martin on that what's your view on the sort of efficacy of that kind of demand from the top culture I I think from my take on the stories that you see in the press are that what I suspect is that those businesses have applied the same level of rigor to understanding what is actually right for them and their business that I see that we did and that which I think a lot of other employers have done. And I honestly am of the view that a lot of what you see in the press is slightly clickbait, kind of wanting to portray a narrative of uh, bosses demanding their employees, you know, into the office. Um, that is not my impression of how a lot of businesses have approached this question, and many have approached it with sensitivity and have arrived at a solution that works not only for the business but for the people um, that work there. Um, and you know, for us in particular, we've spent a considerable amount of time thinking about this question. And I know that you've mentioned that, you know, that, that you have as well. Um, and it's a really, you know, uh, false narrative, I think, to, to kind of boil down the overall debate around what is the right thing to do for each individual, um, you know, business to how often the employees do or do not go into the office every day uh, or every week. Um, for me, I see the question around, which I mentioned before, uh, hybrid working as being only one part of an overall question of how, how do you work flexibly in the current environment? What works for the business? And every business will come to its own conclusion on that. And it will often be a mixture of a lot of different things beyond just the question of how many days a week do you work in the office and work from home? So that's what I see. 
I think that's a really good place, Martin, to draw things to a close. So Martin, thank you again so much for joining us for this podcast. It's been great to have you here. And Jane, thanks for having a, another bite at the cherry one year on. Likewise. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.